I, I like it when the kids walk in front of me, not behind me. And I'll tell you why. Because I have kids. And, and I, wait, I just wait for one of them when I'm standing here with my legs locked. I just wait for one of them to walk by and just... Because that's what my kids would do. <laughs> Love to see them walk by. That's good. That's good. Turn to God's words with me to Acts chapter 20. Quick review of of last week in chapter 19. We talked about idols. And idols are those things that become God as we give them first place in our hearts. When we give loyalty to things above God... They become our idols. Idols, we, we think in our minds, those little, you know, maybe a, a, a carved stone, something or other. Or as Paul went into Athens, and he's, there, was, there was more, more gods made out of stone and carved on the, on the sidewalks than there were people in the city of Athens. They even had a, an idol to the unknown god. Paul says, let me tell you about the unknown God. I know who that is. Let me teach you. Let me educate you. But Paul, in his, in his ministry in, in Greece and Macedonia and in Asia, minor, Asia Minor there throughout his time, the way that, that he, he taught about idolatry and what he, what he did is he confronted it head on and he opposed it. Because it was not right, it was contrary to the Scriptures, it was contrary to what Christ taught. And in the letter that he wrote to Ephesians, and we know that that, uh, he spent, we're going to find out today that he spent, um, well no, that wasn't chapter 19, wasn't it? That he spent three years in Ephesus. So he spent a lot of time there, and he's writing a letter back to them that we call Ephesians. But in chapters 5 and 6, he talks about the idols. And he says that we need to be prepared. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against evil and spiritual wickedness in high places. And then he tells us about putting on the armor of God. Be prepared, be ready, be aware, look out. And we know that, that our idols today are different than the idols of then, but they're just as sinful. I Joked with you last week about Pepsi, and I'm drinking from a Mountain Dew bottle this morning. That's water in there, trust me, okay? <laughs> there was Pepsi in there one day, but I like the size of the bottle. It works. But we talk about idols, anything that, that takes first place in our heart before Christ. It can be money. It can be food. It can be sex. It can be desires that that are just not godly. It can be gambling. It can be alcohol. Anything that we give a higher priority to in our lives, anything that we give higher priority to than, than we do to God is an idol. We need to beware. In, in chapter 19, verse 26, Demetrius was, 
was the silversmith, and he was trying to get the, the, all the silversmiths together and the people in the industry. And, he, and in verse 26, he says, This Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And I'm sure that's probably a direct quote from Paul. But stop and think about that. That kind of makes sense. How can something that I make with my hands be mightier and do something for me? doesn't make any sense. Okay, I'll keep it simple. How does Pepsi do anything for me that God can't do for me? Hey, I know people that, that have drank so much soda that it's rotted their stomachs out, okay? And they've had problems with it. So you, you laugh, but it can be a problem. That idol can, can have real, real issues. But put in there whatever your idol is, okay? Whatever it is that you worship God more than God. A boat, a car, your house, your fifth wheeler, your, your cabin up north. Oh, wait a minute, we are up north. Your, <laughs> your trip to, the, to Fiji, there we go. Your trip to Fiji in January... Demetrius says, he says that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Remember that he's the potter and we're the clay? He's God, we're not. He is the one to mold and shape us. We are not to mold and shape our gods. So they start the riot and they go into the the amphitheater, I think I forgot to mention last week that the, the theater there in, in Ephesus would seat about 25,000. And the way we talked about last week, they were chanting for, for more than two hours, um, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And verse 32 says the majority didn't even know why they were there. They just heard that there was an uproar and so they went and joined the crowd. How many of us do that? How many of us chase the next big thing? We want to be part of the crowd. We want to fit in. We don't even know what we're doing or why we're following, but we want to be there because everybody else is there. Remember we always use the illustration here? That God stands here and we need to be right beside Him in our relationship with Him. And as the world slides further and further away from God, that doesn't give us the right to slide. As long as we keep that 50 feet distance, we're good. We're good because we're not getting any closer to the world. But while you're doing that, you're getting further away from God. If, you, if you're going somewhere, you're doing something, know why you're doing it. Don't just jump on the bandwagon because everybody else is. Even if it's a good bandwagon, be careful. Be aware. Don't let that wagon become your God. Don't let that wagon become your idol. Let the focus in the center of your life be Jesus Christ. 
We really didn't go 35 to 41 last week, didn't go over very much, but we do know that the, the city clerk had a very calming effect on the people. And he said, hey, verse 38, um, no, 37, these guys haven't robbed the temple of Diana. They haven't blasphemed her, so leave them alone. Go your way, otherwise the Romans may accuse us of having a riot, and that would put their, their political position with the Romans in jeopardy. As long as they were abiding by the law and, and orderly in their business, the Romans let them have a lot of control in this city, in the city of Ephesus. Verse, verse 40, for indeed, this is the city clerk talking, for indeed we're in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's affairs since there's no real cause for it. In this connection, we'll be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. And saying this, he dismissed the assembly. Now we get to today's. Acts chapter 20. After the uproar had ceased and Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them, and taking his leave to go, he departed to go to Macedonia. Stephen, do we have our slide? I, I forgot to text you and tell you we we're going to. He's, he's always got it. Thank you, Stephen. When he had gone through these districts and had given them such, much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. And during these three months is when he wrote the letter to Rome, to the church in Rome, what we call the Book of Romans. He spent three months there, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he determined to return through Macedonia. He was accompanied by, okay, here we go, Salpater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and of Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Now, we know if you remember back to verses 21 and 22 of chapter 19, is there's kind of like a little parenthesis there, and Paul gives what his, uh, what his future itinerary is, is going to be. Well, the future's now because this is where this itinerary comes into place and, and where he's going and what he's doing. But the uproar has ceased, and uh, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them, Let's put another word in there, encouraged them. He took his leave from them and departed to go to Macedonia. So before he leaves, after the big uproar in Ephesus, the last thing he wants to do to the brothers in Ephesus is to encourage them. In, in the words, uh, in the rest of the chapter, uh, we'll find even in the verse, next verse, verse 2. When he had gone through these districts and given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. So, Paul spent the last three years in Ephesus here teaching. He wants to, before he, before he heads back to Jerusalem, he's going to come up. He's going to come over through Philippi, come down through Greece, or excuse me, through Macedonia here, and then Greece. He's going to sail for home. But then he hears of a threat, so he's going to take the land. He sends the guys ahead of him to Troas. Come on, where are you on here? Here we go. He sends them ahead of him to Troas by boat, and he's going to come by land, and he comes back around. And as he's going, he's encouraging the churches. 
In verse 3, he sees the plot. And then he's talking about those that have gone on ahead. He's encouraging them to strengthen them. He's encouraging them in the faith. He's encouraging them so that they will stand firm. When this, if you look back, think back to chapter 19, the, the majority didn't know what they were doing in the theater there. They were just jumping on the bandwagon. Paul says, when the next bandwagon, guys, stop. Stand firm in the faith. Know what you believe. Put on the armor of God so that you can be defensive. And at the time when you need to be, you can be offensive with the Word of God. That you can share the Word of God with your neighbors, with those you meet at the grocery store, those you work with. Be prepared, be ready, so that you can stand firm. So that those feet will stay solid in the middle of the Jordan River at flood stage on slippery rocks. That's how firm you need to be able to stand. During his time... In, in, in Asia Minor there, in Macedonia and Greece, during, during his time there, he's been collecting an offering, and, and that's what this list of fellows in verse 4 are, are probably representatives from the church, the churches that are going to carry the offering back to Jerusalem for him. You, you, know, you don't, don't want just one guy walking around with a wheelbarrow full of money. It's not safe anytime. So these guys are going to accompany him back, and that's, that's how they want to encourage the church in Jerusalem. That's how God gives us an opportunity to encourage one another, to encourage our missionaries, to encourage Donna, and to encourage Candy. Is we be cheerful givers with what God has, because we know that everything that we have is God's. Everything we have is God's, and He can take it away like that. Second Corinthians nine seven is, is just talking. I'm not going to turn there, but talks about being a cheerful giver. When we when we look at the tithe in the Old Testament, well, do are we supposed to tithe in the New Testament, and how much are we supposed to give? It's kind of like <laughs> this. This this didn't come to me until just now while I was studying. I didn't write up my notes or anything, but I remember when I was a kid and we were playing softball in the backyard. And somebody hit a foul ball through the back porch window. And I, an exclamation, I said a word I shouldn't have said. <laughs> it was not a good word. Well, the word itself isn't bad, but the way I used it wasn't good. I did not use God's name, okay? God's name was not involved in that. Um, but when mom got home, she and I took a little trip to the bathroom and if you ever want to know that green lava soap, don't taste good, just so you know, okay? I don't even know if they make it anymore, but... As I grew up, I thought about that, and I was like, I wish Mom would have understood why I exclaimed that word, because it wasn't something I said frequently. 
But it was, it was based in a heart of fear because I knew what was going to happen when I got home. It had nothing to do with the word. I said, I just knew I was going to be in trouble because I broke the window. And that was big trouble. I didn't want to be in that trouble. So when our kids were growing up, we, we tried to be more concerned about the attitude and why and how. Because we talk about if, if we're squeezed, what comes out? Okay, if if, we're, if the world squeezes us, what what's going to come out? Remember that little boy a couple of weeks ago wanted to, wanted to ask Jesus into a heart, and the evangelist said, "Well, did you, Johnny?" And he says, "Well, he said I've been thinking about it." He said, "I'm just not too sure." He says, "Because I'm a little guy, and 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 Jesus is kind of big, and he'll just stick out all over if he comes inside me." And again, the evangelist said, exactly, that's the point. So when the world squeezes us, what comes out? What's, what's in our hearts? What comes out? For, for these folks, what came out was a giving attitude, a giving heart that they wanted to give to the, to the needs of the church in Jerusalem. So we see here Paul is in exhorting them, encouraging them. Verse 2, as he goes to the other churches in Greece, he, he gives much exhortation, much encouragement. So how can we encourage one another this week? What can you do to encourage Not too many kids left in here. What can you do this week to encourage mom and dad? What can you do to encourage your spouse? The grumpy neighbor lady. I guess I shouldn't have said lady. The grumpy neighbor. <laughs> Give myself in trouble. We can give to others. We can visit with others. I don't know. How many of you noticed that this front pew of these three seats on the end have been empty for almost two months now? That's normally where Shelley and Tony Bates sit. They would love. And they didn't they haven't asked me. I know some of you go and visit with them. Sometime you're in town, just stop, call them, call them ahead of time. 10, 15 minutes, don't stay longer than that. That's, that's what all the pastors' books on visitation tell me. Keep your visit to 15 minutes. I know those of you who visit say, you don't follow that very well, Pastor. <laughs> but you know how, how, how that would encourage them and just lift them up? That somebody, one, is thinking about them, and two, actually took a few minutes to stop in and say, hey, we love you. How are you doing? How can we be praying for you? Um, when, I, when I talked to him a couple weeks ago, I, I would have thought Shelly was in worse, worse shape. But going over this week, Tony, man, pray for Tony. His, his uh, liver's failing. And he needs a transplant soon. And he's a hurting boy. He's a hurting boy. 
but just, just the joy that you'll bring. Like I say, call ahead of time. The encouragement that would be. About that, that young mom that's got kids. Could just use a word of encouragement. Maybe you stop by, maybe just a call on the phone. Maybe an email. Maybe a card in the mail. Another way to encourage one another is to serve with each other. Serve in, for a half hour in the Adopt-A-Highway. Serve. I, I know different ladies have different parts. Shelby and I know Caitlin runs the sound booth for the ladies' conference. Work together. Dan's probably looking for some guys to help with the lunch. They will prepare for the ladies. Serve together. Encourage. And, and you, get, you get to know people that way because they, they may say something while, they, while you're serving together that they won't even say if you stop by and visit for 10 or 15 minutes. I'm going to read just a short section from this book. But it's how not to encourage one another. And I want you to know that there's other pastors that feel the same way I do, and it's not just always coming from me. Like, oh, pastor, you're always down on us. Well, it's, 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 it's because discouraging words. But I, I couldn't find it this week, and I didn't look real hard because I didn't figure I'd find it, but... I remember a long time ago from some training or somewhere I've read something that for every one negative comment you tell a child, and we're all still children, okay? Any negative comment you tell a child, they need 12 positive comments to counteract that one negative comment. Some of us got some catching up to do. We must realize, and this is from Tony Moreta, his, his book on Acts, we must realize that our failure to encourage is a sign that we really don't love our brothers and sisters. We love our plans. We love ourselves. So may God break our hearts, leading us to repentance and showing us how we can encourage each other this week. Before moving on from this point, I want to touch on ten things that serve to discourage fellow brothers and sisters. They are things we should avoid. Everybody listening, you got that? These are not things to do, okay? These are things to avoid. Being harsh toward or critical of one another. Being angry with one another. Envying one another. Disrespecting one another. Avoiding one another. Oh, baby, that can hurt. Being too busy for one another. Puffing ourselves up in front of one another. Squeezing the life out of one another. Showing no patience with one another. And back to number eight for a moment, squeezing the life out of one another. Any one of these things is bad in and of itself, but when you keep doing it to somebody, you can literally squeeze the life out of them. Number nine. 
Number nine, showing no patience with one another. And number ten, gossiping about one another. Instead of falling into one of these traps, give yourself to the ministry of building up other believers in a spirit of love for Christ and for His people. Let's encourage. Let's build up. Let's lift up one another. Goes back to the idea of attacking from within. Russian rules of revolution 1917 said we can we can we'll never have to lift a, a gun against the America. We can destroy her. She will destroy herself with them. All we have to do is get them to focus on sex, sports. What's the other one? There was three. Oh well, forgot. Well, those those two are enough to do it right there. But there there was three things. Was, we'll destroy him from within. If Satan can get the church to destroy itself from, from within, he doesn't have to waste any other resources from outside coming in to attack us. Let's encourage one another. Verse 7 through 12, he, he moves on. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 6. We sailed from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread. If, if you recall, Paul had wanted to make it back to Jerusalem for Passover. Uh, in, well, there, right there, verse 6. I, I was thinking back in 19, but verse 6 there. We sailed from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread. He missed it. They're still in Philippi. They, they, they celebrate the Passover with their brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi. So now he says, okay, I didn't make it back to Jerusalem for Passover. I, I, I want to make it back by Pentecost. How many days does that give him to get to Jerusalem? Penta. 50 days. Gave him 50 days, okay? We sailed from Philippi after the days and came to Troas within five days and there we stayed seven days. Okay, that's 12 days. And we won't finish that part until next week, but um, we'll, we'll see a few more days tick off the calendar here. They came to Troas where, remember those, that group of guys from verse 4 that were going to carry the offering for them and go back to Jerusalem with them and represent and give a report from the churches? Those guys were waiting for him in Troas. And that's, that's back up over here again. He's, so he's come over here. He's made his way back. He spent three, three, we, uh, three, month, yeah, three months here when he wrote the, uh, the book of Romans. And now he's back up here to Troas. I don't know if you all been able to see it, but here's Ephesus where he spent the three years over here. And now he's back to Troas. He, he sailed from Philippi down to Troas. These other fellows left him down here and, and sailed directly there. So he went the, the land route. On the first day of the week, when they were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. That doesn't mean he started at midnight. That means he, he was still preaching at midnight, okay? There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. There was a certain young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. 
And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep. Not Paul, Eutychus. Was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And when he has gone back up, he had broken bread and eaten. He talked with them a long time until daybreak, and then he departed. They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. Man, there is so much in this passage. (laughs) The first day of the week. Why the first day? Because it was the day that the Lord was resurrected, and this is the first time that we're told that the church had started meeting on the first day. The, the Jews were in the habit of the Sabbath, which was the seventh day of the week, but Christ was resurrected on the first day of the week, and the, the Christian church wanted to worship on that day. Why that day? Because guess what? The tomb is empty, he's sitting on the throne. Can I get an amen? Yeah. The tomb is empty. He's sitting on the throne. Yeah. That's good stuff. That's good reason to celebrate on Sunday. Because it was the day that he was resurrected. Because we're talking about Christians here, the first day of the week was a work week in that culture. And so the service started probably closer to sundown. Because the, the, the slaves, and Eutychus was probably a slave, he was probably a young man somewhere, people speculate anywhere between the age of 8 and 17. We'll say, let's just cut it in the middle and we'll say he was 13, all right? Here's, here's a young man who's, who's worked all day in the fields, and, and he comes in and, and he's listening. He, he's sitting in the window, okay? He knows he's tired. He's trying to get some fresh air to help stay awake. We do that when we're driving and we're tired, right? You roll down the windows or you put the air conditioner on to freeze yourself awake. So he starts in, in on the first day, verse 7, on the first day of the week they were gathered together to break bread. This means that they, they participated in communion. We're just off by one week because we're doing communion next Sunday. Quickly look down at verse 11. It says, When he had gone back up, after Eutychus falls, dies, Paul goes down and through the power of the Holy Spirit, revives him, puts life back into him by God's power, not by Paul's power. And when he had gone back up, they had broken bread and eaten. Then they had some food. They'd been there a long time. Paul's preaching and he's preaching and he's preaching. Well, and, and the idea here, too, is, is the, the setting. It's kind of more of an informal setting than necessarily just a, a sermon preaching. It was almost like a give and take. They could ask questions, and, and he would respond and answer. Uh, but, it, but it was a little more casual than a regular, a regular Sunday morning service like we, we celebrate. But the service began, and Eutychus falls out the window. You know what the really cool thing was the next Sunday when they got together? Hey, did you guys hear? One of, the, one of the kids in the youth group came back to life last week after he was dead. How cool is that? The power of God working? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That wasn't, that wasn't an ordinary Sunday when Paul was talking. How often do you, do you know that? How often... Do we have somebody have a rebirth? 
and have new life and become a new creature. When's the last time somebody in our congregation got saved? Are we about the work that we should be about? I don't think we are. Because I've been here five years. Well, that's your job, Pastor. Uh uh. Not that I can't, but my job is to feed you. You want the church to grow? It's not just going to, one way to do it is mama's having new babies. That's that's a good way. Uh Uh-huh. That helps. But that's not the only way. Think about that. We want the church to grow, but we're not doing anything to help it grow. That kid came back to life, made it real obvious to the believers in Troas that God had conquered death. We knew that when he was resurrected. But it was made real all over again to this church in Troas when this young man was brought back to life. It said he was dead, it doesn't say he was sleeping. He wasn't knocked unconscious. He was dead. And God's power brought him back to life. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 10. Verses 7 to 12 of, of Acts 20 there. Two, two thoughts to remember. They celebrated on the first day of the week because it was the day of the Lord's resurrection, the day they celebrate the Lord's resurrection. The tomb is empty. He's on the throne. And the second thought is that they gather weekly on the first day of each week they do it every week to be together, to fellowship together. Hebrews 10, I'll write this down, 19 through 25. I'm going to start reading in verse 24, but the, the whole passage, I, I hate to take anything out of context, but verse 24, let us consider, well, no, I got to start in 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Remember that list of ten things we're not supposed to do? What are you planning on doing this week that's on the plus side of that? To encourage your parents, to encourage your spouse, to encourage the grumpy neighbor, to encourage the cashier at the grocery store that's having a rough day. What are you going to do to encourage? Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, 
but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As, as, as the Lord's return gets nearer, we need to be encouraging one another more. And how do we do that? We get together. We get together every Sunday morning to worship and praise God, to spend time in His Word, to give our offerings, to see each other, to encourage one another, to let each other know that we're thinking about and we're praying for you. What needs do you have? How, how can we love on you more? Do you need meals this week? Do you need encouragement? How can we help you? You can't do it if you're not together here on Sunday morning. And it shouldn't be a drudgery. It should be, all right, it's Saturday night already. We get to go to church tomorrow morning. Man, that week went fast, but looking forward to tomorrow morning. It's good to be together. And as the, as, as the, the times get tougher, as, as the, the laws of our state try to outlaw what we want to teach and preach here, encouragement is going to be needed. If we want to stand firm, you got to be here. And I think one of Satan, one of the things Satan used in COVID was, was churches doing everything online. Garbage. That's not what the church is. The church is a gathering together. We need one another. We need to be together. And Satan will use whatever tool he can. Remember last week we were talking about what does Satan hate? He hates when Jesus' name is exalted. When, when he is lifted on high, when, when he hears it from our lips, that, that God, we love you and we're going to be subject to you. We're going to serve you. We're going to be faithful. We're going to stand firm. Satan don't like that. Matter of fact, he hates it. We need to stand firm. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Get together. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, thank you for your word. God, help us to love each other more. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to put other people before ourselves. To, as you encourage us to in Philippians 2. That we might put somebody else's desires ahead of our own. That we might rejoice with the person that got the promotion we were vying for. That we might weep with a brother or sister who's lost a loved one or a, a child or a parent. Father, thank you for Paul and his testimony. Thank you for the men traveling with him to, to ensure that the offering would make it back to the church in Jerusalem where it was so desperately needed. Teach us, Father, to encourage one another. 
You tell us to ask for faith if we lack it. You, ask to ask, you tell us to ask for wisdom if we need it. Father, we need faith. We need wisdom. But also teach us how to encourage one another, lift one another up. Father, you're the ultimate example of putting us before your son. Thank you for that love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ladies, if prepared, 